Um, we're in a series right now called Holy Joe, and if this is your first time with us, we want to give you a massive warm welcome. We love, love, love the fact that you're tuning in today. And if you're a regular, you're part of Sunny Hill, we love the fact that you're tracking with us in this journey. Um, but we kind of, I think I said it on Facebook Live this morning, because we do a pre-Facebook Live pre-service, a pre-service service, if you like. And I was saying, like, although this is kind of a presentation in many ways, because we're presenting and you're watching with the church community. So even though we're not in the same room, we are together in spirit, right? And we are united in belief, we're united in vision, we're united in purpose, and we have commonality. Just like the early church, they had everything in common. Like, yes, oh, all right, JJ. <laughs> I don't know whether you heard that. It sounded like JJ was just like, I don't know, just making a balloon fart, but it wasn't. I think it was just him blowing his nose or something, but it made me jump, that's for sure. Um, but hey, if this is your first time with us, feel free to do it again, Jays. It's, it's really nice. Um, we love the fact that you're tuning uh, in with us today. And so today, I'm going to be looking at this theme, Holy Joe isn't a loser, okay, isn't a loser. Because typically, when we think of a loser, we, it's a negative term, and it's a horrible term, you know, that thing where we go, loser... Um, and it's where we suggest that somebody is a bit of a chump, um, if you like. Uh, a few weeks ago, I've been playing my son, my oldest son, Caleb, on Rocket League on the PS4. And uh, to be honest, I'm getting better, but he was just smashing me out of the park every time. And um, he would do this victory dance. And in that victory dance, part of it was this kind of loser kind of thing. And it didn't make me feel good. So I thought, you know what, Lord, I need a word from heaven on this. And so he gave me one. And so I want to give that word to you. Um, but it's not really so much about thinking about that title of loser. It is about the fact that God wants you to win in life. God wants you to succeed in life. And of course, his success doesn't always look like your success. But actually, he wants you to win in life. And I want to take you back. Uh, so cast your minds back to when you were a child. It's one of the most like, horrible days on the calendar for a kid. Like, I used to dread it. I really used to dread it. You don't know what day I'm thinking of, do you, Hannah? You can't really think. Like, there's one day that came around, like, and Hannah, you homeschool now, don't you? And I would say it's worth homeschooling just for this one day of the year that happens in junior school. And um, unless you are naturally competent in this area, you're just made to look like a fool, like it's folly. Does anyone, can anyone work out what day I'm talking about in the junior school calendar? No? Okay. Let me give you a little hint, right? Begins with sir and ends with ports day, right? It is sports day, right? Guys, does anyone have a good experience of sports day? Honestly. Oh, come on, look. Hannah, Hannah put her hand up. What is that about? Come on, my word. So Hannah had a, a great experience of sports day. We're so pleased for you, Hannah. Round of applause. We're so happy. So why are you homeschooling your kids then? Because sports day is the only reason I would homeschool my kid. <laughs> but like this, this, this moment in the calendar that came around that... that I think unless you were naturally gifted at running, unless you could run fast and in good time, you were always made to look like the runt of the pack. It just, it wasn't good for people's sense of worth and value. I mean, of course I was fine because I was super fit and super fast, right? I just, I felt sorry for everyone else in the school. That's my problem. No, not really. Uh, I sucked at running. And um, I think like whether your school was like mine or I don't know, but the teachers that used to organize the class groups and the form groups, they always used to pitch the best runners into the most legitimate races. Do you know what I mean? So you would have like the 100 meter sprint and you would have like the 200 meter run, then you'd have like the, the hurdles and the long jump and all that kind of stuff. And everybody who was a bit more uh, naturally gifted at running, they would put them into those categories, right? 
And these people would just fly, they'd compete, and they would feel that sense of just the grace of God on the back of their neck as they're running down the straight, right? But I think, like, school sports day is one of the most horrible concepts that any teacher has ever come up with, because what they do for what I call the second-tier runners, like Jake, right, what, what they do for other people who can't run in the same way, or myself, right, so not just Jake, but me, is... They don't just say, okay, now you've got to run. They give you an extra task to do whilst running. So, so for example, like the egg and spoon race. It's the most ridiculous concept ever because for me, because I'm, logic uh, I'm logical, my thinking is this. If, if they're good at running, give them the harder thing to do. Yeah. Like, if they're naturally gifted at running, make them balance a beanbag on the head. <laughs> like... Running, we've already established, running is problematic for me, and now you're giving me the anxiety of carrying this egg 100 metres down the field, right? Or, or, you know, another thing they do is they... I don't know what teachers come up with this, to be honest. I mean, it's kind of humorous. Ben's a teacher, aren't you, Ben? Ben, are you anything to do with this, pal? No, nothing to do with you, right? Is <laughs> another race that they've come up with is, oh, this person is completely dysfunctional at running. Um, put him in a sack. <laughs> like, it's, it's true, though, isn't it? Does anyone else feel my pain? Like, if you feel my pain, give me a high five in the chat rooms. Like, I, I think I'm preaching to the choir here. Like, how, how do we get away with this? Like, put them in a sack and say, we're going to, in some way, like, restrict your activity. You've still got to cover the same distance. You've still got to compete. But not only now are we kind of going to laugh at you struggling, we're hoping that you're going to fall out of your sack at some point because it brings us kind of light entertainment. And... Um, almost feels kind of like Roman Empire scenario, doesn't it? Like gladiator. Like, don't worry about fighting the tigers. I'd be worried about the sack race, to be honest. Like, the worst of them all is one that I would often get pitched in, particularly when I was in year three and year four, because it was before I started playing football. As soon as I found my legs, it wasn't so bad. But this race was the worst for me, is they'd say, here's a dysfunctional runner, okay? And here's a dysfunctional runner, Let's strap their legs together <laughs> and let's make them run. Like, because that's funny, because it, it, it induces a little bit of pain because it's uncomfortable. Like, I, I don't know how kids don't get more injured doing that. We did it to our kids, didn't we, a little while ago on, um, who was it? Zeke's, Zeke's birthday. birthday yeah. We strapped him to Caleb's leg or something, and Zeke just got wasted as he was getting dragged around the garden. But why has nobody, why has nobody just thought in the cold light of day, this probably isn't a great thing for kids to do. And that's really the extent of my message. So we're going to pray together now, because we're going to come against this spirit of whatever it is and uh, break it in Jesus' name. Now, I don't think they do it for this reason, but actually it, it, it sets us up brilliant as a metaphor to understand something of life in many ways. Like here, right here. Over to this camp. So I've got Gina following me today. So Gina, good to have you with us. And so she's going to be tracking with me. But show them this running kind of track right here. So I've got my, my starting point over here. Okay. I've got the finish line over here. Okay. It's not a ribbon. It's masking tape. So it'd be hard to get through that. And then I've got my running line. Okay. But really, racing is a great metaphor for life. Because essentially, there's a start and there's an end. And really, the purpose of life, for most people, is how do I get from here to here with as few problems as possible? 
like without sickness, without relational difficulty, without any sort of trauma? How do I get from here to there? And for those of you watching who don't believe in God, maybe an atheist, for example, it's kind of sad when you deconstruct life in this way because essentially what we're saying, if birth is the start point of life and death is the end point of life, then really the extent of your life is running towards death. Like no matter what you're going through, whether it be divorce, whether it be sickness, whether it be employment and financial challenges, the reward for a godless person in life, at the end, their reward is death. It's pretty grim, eh? Pretty grim, pretty grim. So sorry about that, but it's true. But I'm going to use Jake as uh, an example. So come on over, Jake. Give him a round of applause, people. Come on, onto the running track, right? Yeah, you can take your mask off. That's fine. Right? Well, I think it's fine. Hopefully it's fine. <laughs> Hopefully. Right? <laughs> so, right, here's Jake. Now, Jake is actually quite a good sportsman in many ways. Right? He's ready. Look at him. He is ready to go. He's actually quite good at sport. He plays football quite regularly. Um, and in life, he's, he's a relatively good person, aren't you? Yeah. You've never murdered anyone? No. <laughs> Yeah, you've never done something so heinous that it's worthy of lengthy prison time? No, definitely not. <laughs> I knew he was the wrong person to ask. I asked Louise to do it, but she wasn't up for it. So I've ended up with Jake, right? Now, the challenge for every human that exists today and has ever existed is that actually they start from default as second-tier runners. So I'm not going to go into kind of the, the long version of this. But basically, sin is at work in the world. Because at the very beginning, Adam and Eve chose an alternative to God's best. And now, as a result, we live in the reality of a world that is fundamentally broken. Now, now you may not believe in the Bible, but the truth is you can't deny the fact that the world is messy mm -hmm. and that there is sin in the world, that there is wrongdoing in the world, there are mean people in the world, there is sickness in the world, all of these things. Children are going hungry and stuff. And... That's a result of sin in the world. But as well as the, the world being fundamentally dysfunctional and broken, Jake is born as a fundamentally dysfunctional and broken person. He's broken into sin. It's part of the effect of the fall of mankind at the very beginning when God created everything. So Jake, let's just say his mandate is to get through life, right? To start moving, that's cool. It's not actually that simple. Because ultimately, Jake... Come here, pal. Now, this is a very uncomfortable, heavy bag. There's a mixing desk in here. It is not conducive to a good back. But he's automatically starting with some source of baggage that maybe he can't understand, maybe he can't even identify what that baggage is or what it looks like. But his natural disposition is to one that is broken. Like, think about children. I don't know if you've ever raised a kid. Jake, you're about to raise a child, aren't you? And uh, did you show him the picture? Check out this picture, by the way. This is Jake and Sophie's baby girl or boy. We've got a 3D scan image of it, hopefully. Here we go. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. I can definitely see Jake and Sophie in that child. Isn't that so cool? Congratulations, by the way. Coming very soon in the next two or three weeks. Uh, so pray for them, right? But even their baby is actually born with a measure of dysfunction because they're born into a sinful world as a sinful person. 
That child needs rescuing. That child needs saving. And so this bag representing the weight of sin. Jake may not appreciate that, but ultimately, children, you don't have to train to be bad. (laughs) You know, I never have to sit down and go, oh, guys, this would be a really naughty thing. The role of a parent is to teach a child the godly way, to train them to be good, because actually good doesn't come natural to them. Naturally, as people, Mm. bad is kind of our default. So Jake has got to run this race now. Hold this as well. This is quite heavy. And this is sin, right? So he's now running a race, and he's getting down this field from the start to the end, right? Running toward death, okay, because that's the reward. And he's got a whole heap of challenges that he's got to negotiate internally between here and there. Now, I also want to add this to it as well, Jake. Can you come back, please? Because as well as this internal, invisible thing that he may not be able to identify, this is an egg and spoon, by the way, right? Jake, don't drop this, pal. (coughs) Is that an actual egg? Yeah, that's an actual (laughs) egg, mate. See, now what he's got to do is as well as carry this internal dysfunction that he may not be able to label or understand... Let's just understand this egg on the spoon as anxiety for a moment. Like, because, you know, as you're running with something like that, you're thinking, I can't let this egg drop. Because if this egg drops, then I'm out of the race. So it it kind of brings on a sense of anxiety. So now in his life, he's carrying sin. And part of the effect of sin is worry and anxiety. Fear, if you like, okay? So he's navigating that. Come back. I'm not saying like Jake is totally like this, but I'm trying to help understand and illustrate to you the human condition. Okay, I'm going to put a beanbag on your head, okay? Now, let's just say this speaks to our insecurity. This idea that we've just got to keep our head up and just like not let anything fall, just keep going, 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 right? So now, Jake, what you've got to do is try and get through life, balancing the egg, you know, just managing your anxieties. Got it. Managing your insecurities, and generally, that's what. No, just hold it there a minute, pal, because I just want to talk for a little minute. In fact, can you just stay there for the rest of my message, right? I, I think one of the challenges of, of life is simply that, like, we talk in this context of managing. Oh, Jake! The beanbag fell, man, you're done. We, we talk about this idea because we can't eradicate them, we talk about managing them. Oh, Jake! You want it there? Yeah. Okay. Managing our anxieties. (laughs) Managing our insecurities. Okay. Now, let's just say... Right, Jake, come back, please. This is the best sack I could find, by the way. Come back, mate. You know what you've got to do now, don't you? Put put your feet in here, please. This is is like... Is there anything like an accident? (laughs) Report. Risk risk assessment. assessment. Okay. Oh, Jake! Okay, so I don't think you can hold it. But let's just say that this speaks to some sort of confinement. Like in life, we are restricted and limited. Maybe sometimes this could look like sickness, for example, or maybe offence. And in some way, you're, you're, you're kind of bound, and you don't always know what it is. But now what Jake's doing, I mean, he looks great, doesn't he? We've got Wilf taking pictures today. Show, show Wilf over there taking pictures. Good to see you, Wilf. Wilf, make sure you get loads of these images, right, because... They're going to live long in Jake's memory, okay? When he's in hospital next week, working through what happened exactly. Okay. Yeah, you're doing too well, actually, Jake, right? Okay, so before you carry on... Right, just because of COVID, I'm not going to strap you to anybody. But, and I'm not even going to strap that to you, to be honest. But actually then, in life, as well as like the insecurity, the anxiety, and 
the limitations and restrictions and confinements that sometimes we can feel in life, we're actually often shackled to the wrong people. Okay? So now, try and move again, but move the chair as well with it. <laughs> it's like a cheap man's version of Pilgrim's Progress right here. Okay. Which is cool because he's actually getting there. He's actually getting there. <laughs> Give him a round of applause, guys. He's doing very well. Okay. And he's achieved the finish line. Jake, well done. You can now die. <laughs> you, you actually, you got through the race of life to death and you're finished. You managed to juggle all of your um, insecurities and your anxieties. You lived with a relative uh, sense of normality, although actually you didn't really flourish in life. You didn't smash it in life, but you got to the end and your reward is death. So well done. That's brilliant. Make sure you sanitize your hand after this message. Now, here's the challenge, okay? Um, you were created to run. We'll just leave that there. That's fine. It's a bit ugly, isn't it? Actually, let's put it over here. Well done, Jay. Give him a round of applause, guys. Give him some love in the chat. That, that applause was rubbish, guys. Seriously. That is worth so much more. And I know at home, all of you were thinking, why couldn't you have used Phil? Because that would have been hilarious. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Um, let me just get this TJ, uh, TD Jake's uh, kind of thing up. Um, you were created to run yeah. and run well. Come on. That's the way you were made. Mm. You actually weren't made to carry sin. Yeah. God didn't make you, like, didn't think of your frame, think, how do I make this frame so that they can carry sin well? How can they carry worry well? How can they carry insecurity well? How can they carry toxic relation well? How can they carry limitations well? However, because of sin and its effects, we're born into a broken, dysfunctional world, and we are fundamentally broken and dysfunctional people, so we can't run the way we were born to. And this, this is the condition of humanity. From day one, we come to the race with baggage, and over time, this baggage multiplies. It multiplies as we enter into another relationship that isn't healthy for us. It develops over time as we cast our eyes over things that aren't good for our soul to kind of look at. And life is hard because you run with sin and you live with the effects of that reality. Now the thing is, is that when you give your life to Jesus, so like this person yesterday, Debbie, who gave her life to Jesus on the streets, right? In that moment, she was drafted into a different race, into a new race. And the race has ultimately changed. It's fundamentally changed. You see, the race for a Christian, it doesn't mean that now your life is without hardship and difficulty. But we're kind of going to get into that. But one of the big things that's changed is now I'm no longer running to death. I'm running to life. Yeah. I'm running to something greater. I'm running to something more <laughs> significant. Yeah. I'm running to something that isn't temporal, but it's eternal. And um, in this series of Holy Joe, a few weeks ago when I started this series, I spoke about this invitation that Peter gives okay, to, in his letter. And the invitation looks like this. It says, be holy as God is holy. It's an invitation to be different. We unpacked what holy meant. It meant to be different, to be fundamentally different. Okay? So if the, the world is running like this, when we give our lives to Jesus, we're actually fundamentally different. And we are invited to live, live differently and run differently. Which is all cool, because that soundbite preaches well. 
But the question I have on the back of that invitation of Peter is to say, all right, Peter, you're calling me to be holy as God is holy. What I want to ask is, how? Yeah. How, how? How do I be holy as God is holy? Because if holy speaks of otherness, if holy speaks of difference, if holy speaks of almost, well, perfection and righteousness and right standing, how on earth, if I'm carrying this baggage, these insecurities, these anxieties, these toxic relationships, how can I be holy? Well, the thing you need to understand is this, and this is kind of a challenging word because we're going to go to a couple of portions of Scripture now which are generally not always ventured into because they're quite heavy. We're going to look at Leviticus, then we're going to look at Hebrews. So if you've got your Bibles, and you should have your Bibles because you're at home, is open them at Leviticus 19. So the third book of the Bible, right? Peter borrows that invitation directly from the book of Leviticus. Now, let me just tell you about Leviticus. Leviticus was written before Jesus came. And really, it's all to do with um, the theme of the book of Leviticus, if you like, is how to be holy. Really, that's, that's the theme of the book of Leviticus. So it's written to the priest to speak of how should um, offerings be given, what should the temple look like, what's the order of the priesthood, and all these kind of things. Okay, And in this book, written to Jews before Jesus... Moses, who's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, chapter 19, verse 1. The Lord also said to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Now, it looks a little bit different to Peter's writing because this is less of an invitation and more of a command. You must be holy. You must be holy because I am holy. In other words, if you want to know me, if you want to be in relationship with me, says God, you, you need to raise the bar of the way you live. You must be holy because I am holy. And actually, if you continue through chapter 19, I'm not going to do it now, it gets into some really intricate detail as to how you can be holy. So listen to this, verse 3. Each of you must show great respect for your mother and father. And all the parents said, Amen. Amen. My mom used to kind of use this verse all the time at me when I was growing up. You know, there's a, there's a promise in Scripture that if you're obedient to your parents, God gives you long life. And mom would almost, always threaten me with that verse, always. Like, and I don't know what she was meaning, whether it's like that God was going to snuff me out or she was going to snuff me out. But either way, she was saying, honour, respect, obey your parents because God loves it when you do that. But it actually goes on. Um, you must always observe my Sabbath days of rest. I am the Lord your God. Do not put your trust in idols or make metal images of gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a peace offering to the Lord, offer it properly so that you'll be accepted by God. Now this whole chapter just gets into some detail about, hey, if you're going to be holy, this is what holiness looks like. And this is really just a snapshot of the reality of what God was putting on the Israelites. In no way is chapter 19 an exhaustive list, really, of the, of, of the prescription of how I'm to be holy. It's pretty crazy. And, and so, ultimately, 
there's this challenge that we understand from reading Leviticus. And I'm reading through it at the moment in my quiet time. And it's a really difficult book because it just feels like it, dis- it, it doesn't feel connected to my context. It doesn't feel connected to my world. It feels so far removed. It feels so different. But ultimately, God, since the beginning of time, has been so in pursuit of humanity. Even in the Garden of Eden, it says that God would walk with Adam in the cool of the day. Like God would draw near to Adam and they would talk as friends and have this life-giving relationship. Then sin came to the world and sin came into the world through Adam, and as a result, that relationship got fundamentally broken. And in Leviticus, we're speaking into that context, into that situation where God's desperately wanting relationship with people, but in order to preserve a relationship with people, they need to be holy. They need to be perfect. They need to be right before God. And so God gives them these commands and says, look, this is what you've got to do. Because ultimately, he wants them to be atoned for. He wants them to be able to be one with him. And I love the breakdown of the word atonement. It breaks into those three kind of sound bites. at one being one with God, mm-hmm. being atoned for. Like God desperately desires that. And because God desires that, being good isn't enough. Because you can't keep that standard. So, because the Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. In other words, when we sin, somebody or something needs to die for that sin. And ultimately, it's us if we don't get right with God. Because of that, God institutes this sacrificial code. This sacrificial system. Please track with me. I know this is hard going, but I want you to track with me because I think this is ultimately life-giving and we're going to get somewhere good. And really, the sacrificial code goes like this. Because something needs to die in your place and I don't want you to die, I'm going to invite you to bring an animal. An animal, okay? I don't have a cuddly toy. Let's just pretend this is a baby sheep or a pigeon or something, okay? I invite you to bring an animal to my temple and bring it to the priest. So purchase a sacrifice, bring it to a priest, and this animal that kind of represents you in many ways, you're going to lay your hands on it, and there's going to be this symbolic moment of you transferring your sin to this animal. And then the priest is going to take this animal and slaughter this animal, and blood is going to be shed, and you're going to be able to go free. It's an amazing thing, and you you need to check it out for yourself because it's quite complex. And to help you understand it better, there's something on YouTube uh, by the Bible Project called Sacrifice and Atonement, and it's really powerful, and it's only like seven minutes long. So check it out in your own time. But ultimately, this was instituted to actually purchase right standing with God. This idea that, like, well, I don't want to die for my sin, but if I can transfer my sin to something else and that thing die in my place then I can go free. Now, I think it's kind of interesting because as well as these daily sacrifices that would be offered for the individual, there was an annual festival for the whole of Israel that was called the Day of Atonement or the Yom Kippur. And it was this moment where as a nation, it was like a spring clean. You would just get right with God as a nation. And, you know, uh, uh, the, the priest, the high priest, would sacrifice a bull to atone for his family and his sins. And then as a community of Israel, you'd bring two goats and one would get slaughtered and one you would transfer the sin on and they would just let that goat bolt into the wild. 
That's where we get the term scapegoat, where we pass our blame onto another subject. Okay? And we just see this sacrificial system working out. Now, just imagine for a moment that you are growing up in this context as really an average Joe, if you like. You're a man or you know, a married man, you've got a couple of kids, and, and you're working, but you're not perfect. And so you know that in order to purchase a right-standing relationship with God, I need something to die in my place, right? Now imagine this. You go to the temple, and you purchase, ideally, a lamb without blemish. But if you can't afford that, there's other options. Maybe two pigeons or two doves, right? And I come, and I transfer symbolically all of my wrongdoing, all my brokenness, all my insecurity, all my anxiety, all of my guilt onto this animal, The priest takes it from me, slaughters this animal, and then I'm free, which is really cool. Like in this moment, I'm now holy as God is holy because God instituted this system. So he's choosing to look on that animal as though that's me that died. But then I walk out of the temple, and maybe before I'm even 10 foot out of the temple, maybe I've had an inappropriate thought. Or maybe I've seen some of my friends with something that I'm jealous of and I'm kind of envious. Or maybe unintentionally in that moment I've wrongly placed God as number two and I've put another God before him. Maybe Netflix, although that didn't exist thousands of years ago. But you get the drift. God becomes number two or number three and all of a sudden, like that weight that I lost, like Jake, just come here for a moment. Just be quick here, right? just for the sake of time, all of this sin and wrongdoing you were carrying, okay, (laughs) perfect, okay, as you have bought your sacrifice and paid for your sins, that's removed, (laughs) right, and you can go free, but then you have an inappropriate thought, so you're you're guilty again, Mm. and you're carrying the weight of guilt. Gosh, that was close, mate. You're carrying the weight of guilt. Tickle, tickle, tickle. <laughs> you know. So you can shift it, but you can't keep it shifted. You can go and sit down. Now, bear that in mind as we turn to Hebrews. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. So in other words, it's written after Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Hebrews is ultimately written to the same people group. Only these Hebrews had given their life to Jesus. These Jews had become Christians because they'd given their lives to Jesus. But ultimately, these Jews were considering about turning back to Judaism because these Hebrews that this letter or message is spoken to, they, they paid a high price to follow Jesus. They were thrown out of their guilds. In other words, they lost their source of income. They couldn't work. They couldn't earn money. For many of them, they were cast out of their families because they'd become a Christian. So they had decided to separate from their history and all the traditions of their ancestors and pursue this new path, this path that has Jesus as the Messiah. And the writer of Hebrews, right, who I believe to be Paul, but that's an aside, is really writing in this letter, don't do it. Like Jesus is better than everything you've ever known. 
Like Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the high priest. Jesus is better than the sacrificial limb. Like literally, the book of Hebrews gets into really intricate detail as to why these Jews shouldn't turn their faith on Jesus. And so I encourage you to read it at some point. But I just want to read to you Hebrews, some of Hebrews 10. Right? And I really want you to track with me because I, w- I want you to be freed by this morning's message. And I know it's a bit heavier than usual. But listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So right now, the writer of Hebrews, I'm just going to say Paul, just to save time. Paul is ultimately saying, or who I believe to be, Paul is ultimately saying, this sacrificial system that our ancestors have done for years wasn't the finished product. It was just a dim preview of the even better things to come. Like This is something that God instituted, this sacrificial system, this sacrificial code. And, and the writer of Hebrews is going to Lent to try and say, like, this was just a foreshadow, it was a forerunner. It says, the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect. Everybody say perfect. Yeah, that was really good, guys. Say perfect. perfect. That's more like it. Never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So people would come to the temple and they would do this process day in, day out, week in, week out, month after month, year after year. But they could never be made perfect. They just couldn't. It would only buy a temporary solution to their dysfunction and broken relationship with God. Verse 2, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Now listen to this in verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So in this moment, and you need to just read Hebrews 10 to get a fuller picture, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, these sacrifices that you came and brought to the temple that were sacrificed on your behalf only pointed to a greater sacrifice. The sacrifice that would one day come in the bodily form of Jesus, which now the writer of Hebrews is saying, and this Jesus has done this. He has become the ultimate sacrifice once for all time. Verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Wow. So Jesus... It's amazing. He's not just the high priest. He's this sacrificial lamb. And he lays down his life so that we can be made good for all time. And I love this. Listen to this. Then, this is halfway through verse 12, Hebrews 10. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. I love this picture. Jesus comes lays down his life, gives his life over so that we could be made right with God. And then Jesus sits down. Like when you sit down, it implies that the job is completely finished. There's nothing left to do. He's not kind of nervy on the edge of his seat thinking, oh, is it enough? Isn't it? Am I enough? Am I not enough? He sat down at the right hand of the Father because he knew the job was done. Ben, go for it. That's cool.
And it says here, there he waits until his um, there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. Verse 14, this will come up on the screen. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. This is the right hook of the message, and this is what I desperately, desperately, desperately need you to get today. Because we're not just doing this series for the sake of it. And I, I didn't take you through Leviticus, just for a jolly. Trying to get you to understand exactly what Jesus has done for you, what he's achieved for you, okay? So Jake, come on up. What the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Judaistic Christians who are considering leaving the faith. He's saying, don't you get it? That pursuit of perfection that is so unattainable that for thousands of years our ancestors have brought sacrifices day in, day out, year on, year out, could never pay the price. But Jesus stepped into this moment, into humankind, taking on flesh, laid down his life, became our sacrificial lamb, became our high priest, so that Jake, Jake, right? And I say that not because he's awful, right? But I think the truth is just so profound. Jake could be made perfect in the moment he asked Jesus to be his saviour. Like, it's, it's so fundamentally different now. It, it's like Jake has already won the race. It's like he's run it and he's won it. So now, if he understands Hebrews correctly, that Jake has been made perfect, he's still in the process of holiness. He's still in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. But he does it from a place of, I'm already done, I'm already made perfect in God. Because something that the sacrificial system and the law could never do was actually fundamentally change who you are it could just change and tweak your behavior and so the writer of Hebrews is saying Jake you're now running the race from a a position of being finished like the race is done in the heavenlies And, and this is so huge and so important for us to understand and this is going to come up on your screen because I need you to get this Jesus ran the race I couldn't win so that I could win the race don't go I couldn't run. I'll say that again. Jesus ran the race. I could never win. So that I could win the race, I couldn't even run. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. Amazingly. The Bible says that like, he went through the same temptations and challenges as us, yet he was without sin. He ran the same race perfectly. And when he finished the race, he guaranteed everyone, number one on the podium, who put their confidence in his sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this to the people. He's saying, like, you've got to get this. Don't turn your back. Like, you've been made perfect forever. Even though the process of sanctification is still being worked out. Even though, like, you're still battling with stuff. Even though you're still carrying stuff. You've been forever made perfect. 
Hebrews 11, and I am coming into land, but I did say to the guys today, I might be a little bit longer than usual. And Jake, you can just stay there with that heavy weight. That's fine. Hebrews 11 talks about these giants of the faith that existed before Jesus. The patriarchs, the prophets, like these men of faith. It's called the hall of faith, isn't it? It's that moment where the Hebrews writer just says, this person, that person, they did all these amazing things. And we actually read it. It says, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. These people are before Jesus. Listen, some did by stoning. Some were sawed in half, like totally brutally executed for the cause of Christ. And others were killed with a sword. Some went around wearing skins of sheep sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Like they would go into hiding because the world was coming after them. The worldly empires were coming after them. And I love this soundbite in verse 38, chapter 11. They were too good for this world. Like this dysfunctional broken world, like somehow these amazing giants of the faith somehow found a way to live this exceptional life of faith and courage and they were just simply too good for the world verse 39 listen to this all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith yet none of them received all that God all that God had promised for God This is crazy. I need you to get this, man. For God had something better in mind for us. So that they would not reach perfection without us. Like these forerunners of faith. They lived exceptional lives, yet they couldn't be made perfect. But the writer of Hebrews says, these people are amazing. But God had something better in mind for Jake. Something that Abraham would have looked at him and gone, gosh, if I could have had that start. See, these patriarchs, prophets, they were constantly looking to eternity, which is the right place to cast your focus. But there's something better for us is that actually we can be not just victorious in death but you can be victorious in life as well you don't have to wait to finish the line because Jesus won the race that you couldn't run so that you could win the race that you couldn't win, it's so important chapter 12 verse 1 to 3 and I am landing this, I promise you I promise you but I do think this is freeing And when we preach, that's got to be the goal, to try and free people up. On the back of this list of these legends, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, i.e. all of these people in chapter 11, they're watching on. They're watching on right now. They're watching us run our race. They're watching us deal with covid They're watching us, reaching our friends. They're watching us, worshipping God. They're watching us. They're watching on. It says this, Let us strip off every 
weight that slows us down. Like, just this idea that like, it's still a choice. You've been made perfect in Jesus forever. But the writer of Hebrews says, but but you can run free. You can run with liberty. You don't have to carry that weight. You don't have to carry that baggage. You don't have to carry that insecurity. You don't have to carry that anxiety. The devil's a liar. What Jesus has done is enough. You've been made perfect forever. Those who are committed to the process of holiness have been made perfect forever. So you don't have to carry that shame. You don't have to carry that guilt. You don't have to carry that worry. You don't have to carry that fear. You don't have to continue in that toxic relationship. You don't have to carry on because you've been made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. So throw off everything. Cast off. You can take it down, mate. Get rid of the bag. It's fine. Go on, cross the line. Well, uh, cross the line for me. <laughs> that was like a prank, wasn't it? Like one of those moments of the cellar tape on the door frame and you just walk into it. But the writer of Hebrews just says, listen, like, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And I'm just going to jump to the end now. And here's the big picture. Okay. Being holy in Leviticus, and this is going to come up on the screen, and I want you to write it down in a notebook, right? Being holy in Leviticus is this. This is what you do. Run towards it. That's what being holy means according to Leviticus. This is what you do. Be perfect. This is what you do. Pursue it. Try to attain it. Try to bring your sacrifice. Try to make yourself right with God. Being holy in Leviticus means this is what you do. Run towards it. But check this out. Being holy in Hebrews is this. This is what being holy in Hebrews looks like. This is who you are. Run like it. This is who you are run like it. Richard, can you just put those two on again? I just need people to see the difference because it is different. Being holy in Leviticus, this is what you do, run towards it. However, being holy in Hebrews is, this is who you are, run like it. Run like it. And that's what I just put before you today, brothers, sisters, those who are watching on, whether you're part of Sunny Hill or not, I believe that God has greater freedom and liberty for you to enjoy because when you give your life to Jesus... You are made perfect. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And it's no longer about what you do. It's fundamentally about who you are. It's no longer about running towards perfection. It's about running like it's already settled. Making good, godly decisions in your friendships, in your marriage, in your workplaces, with the things that everyone sees, with the things that nobody sees. I'm going to pursue godliness. I'm going to run after godliness, not to be made perfect, but because I've already been made perfect. It is different. It is different. And so for those of you who are watching today, who don't know Jesus as their saviour, I want to give you an opportunity right now to give your life to him. And you do so in the understanding of this framework that I've given you today. That as soon as I give my life to Jesus, as soon as I call on his name, the Bible promises that I will be saved. 
right? I will be made perfect in that moment. And for those of you who maybe made this commitment years ago, but maybe you've just run off the racetrack that God has called you to. Maybe you're pursuing distractions or maybe you're backslidden. That's a good old Christian word. I want to invite you to come back into the race. I want to invite you to get things right and to embrace your new identity in Jesus. So if that's you at home right now, I want to invite you to pray with me right where you are. Pray after me. Father God, in this moment today, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent. I change my mind. God, where I've turned my back, I turn back around and I turn to you. Jesus, I thank you that 2,000 years ago, you climbed the cross to die the death I couldn't die so that I could live the life I wasn't entitled to live. Father, I thank you that you ran the race I couldn't win so that I could win the race I couldn't run. And I thank you right now that through this prayer and commitment I have been made perfect forever. And now I become holy. I pursue holiness. And all God's people say together, Amen.